Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Editor Knows Best. My name is Katyra Poland. I am the CEO and founder of Love for Words, which is an editing boutique and also the hostess of Editor Knows Best, which you're tuned into right now. Um, you can just search Editor Knows Best and find us anywhere you can find a podcast. And the show airs every other Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern. We do have a very special guest today, so we will jump right into that. And again, thank you to all of our listeners. And let me get ready with a bio. All right. So today's guest is an educator, an entrepreneur, author, and public speaker. Professionally, he is a sociology and career development professor at Brian and Stratton College in Wisconsin. Um, as an author, George has published four books, two are children's books titled Lila's World and One Day I Will Become an Alpha. His other books are his best-selling book, How Black College Students Learn Code Switching, and the second edition. As an entrepreneur, he's the founder of Educare Publications, a, a book publishing company that integrates publishing inside the classroom and workplace settings. As a public speaker, he's traveled across the nation to present to different colleges and university, universities on the concept of code switching to raise awareness of what it is and how it is learned and to help students and staff members identify its adverse effects. Specifically, he educates students on developing their self-concept on code switching for them to utilize the tool on their terms and for the right reasons. Most importantly, he shares strategies for advocating for social change, inclusion, and acceptance of individualism on campus. His goal is to help higher education institutions refine their diversity, equity, and inclusion practices to foster a, a safe, welcoming, and inclusive campus for students and staff of all backgrounds. So tonight's guest is Mr. George Passaway. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so glad to be able to interview you. Yes, thanks so much for having me. You're welcome, you're welcome. I'm super excited. So I want to dive right in into this code switching, um, but just to preface it, um, I am also an author um, and my first book is Professionalism, What's That? And I have a chapter on code switching, which is my favorite chapter. And that's the one I always talk about. So I was super excited to see that unlike, well, I won't say unlike so many others, that we are taking on the cons of code switching because we're so often taught that if we don't do it, we're not gonna succeed. We're not gonna be liked. We're not gonna get a promotion, et cetera. So I'm so glad that I'm not the only one out here talking about the cons and the detriment of code switching, especially for black people. Um, so I'm so excited that you're doing that work. Uh, but before we jump into that, can you tell us a little bit more about um, your publishing company and you know what what motivated you to start that and what it's been like um, building that and working with your clients? Yeah, so I founded uh, a book publishing company uh, called Educare Publications. Um, for the name itself, um, the whole idea came about, um, I recognized the need to essentially diversify the self-publishing industry. Um, I recognized that there's a, um, a gap um, between in the self-publishing uh, company with people of color. And I figured why not um, create this platform where um, it can be a, 
a platform where people of color, aspiring authors can come and publish their work and we can help bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. um, another angle of this company is that specifically what we're known for, we integrate our publishing services into classroom and workplace settings. So how this looked like um, is that we, um, we integrate our um, services into high school and class and into a high school and college uh, settings. So we're coming in um, and teaching both high school and college students um, the process of writing and the process of publishing. Um, and it's a 15 week long uh, program. It's called the uh, Creative Writing Publishing Program. And um, by the end of the program, the 15 week program, um, these high school students, um, college students will have their, uh, their books that they're written in their hands. So it's super awesome. We do the same services for uh, professionals as well. So we're taking this in the workplace. We're going to um, daycares, you know, corporations and teaching them the same process of how to write and how to publish so they can um, publish whatever work for their company. Um, and so um, so that's a little bit about Educare. Um, we're just not about, not, we're, we're not this company um, providing these services, but we're actually giving back. We have some impacts. Um, so one, we offer um, scholarships and grants. Um, our scholarship is called the Elevate Diverse Voices Scholarships. So this scholarship is for um, college students who are in undergrad and, and for those who may be aspiring to write a book one day. And with these scholarships, they are essay um, driven. So you, um, the, whoever is um, applying, they uh, complete the essay and complete the application. And that's pretty much it for the application for the scholarship. Um, last semester's essay theme was, uh, was on why is it important to feel seen when writing? And each semester we have different essay themes that pretty much envision and align with our whole mission as to diversify um, the publishing industry. Mm -hmm. um, also another service that we have is Educare uh, Publications in the Classroom. So with this program, we are um, donating um, diverse books to um, low-income and rural schools across the country. Mm -hmm. uh, last year, we donated 300 books. And this year, 2020, our goal is to donate 500 books um, to these schools. And what this looked like on our end is like we go through, um, we accept donations for books. And we go through the book and look for diverse authors. And for us, diverse authors are people of color, are um, you know, women who aren't represent represented much. They are people from diverse religions, backgrounds, right? So the whole point is to really um, find these diverse books written by these diverse authors and have these diverse um, characters in there and give them to these schools. And the whole point is that it's important for students and, and young learners to see themselves in books, to see black authors, see right. you know, black characters, right? It, it shows them if they can do it, so can I. Um, so that's the, the second program. And then the other program we, we offer is the, the creative writing publishing program. Again, that's where we just go into the classroom and workplace settings and teach um, those students and people, professionals, how to publish their books. Awesome, awesome. Um, and that just reminds me, the other reason I was so excited to have you on the show is I feel like I'll be talking to myself, not literally, but I mean, I have a scholarship for high school students, um, you know, 
able to provide them with opportunities to buy materials and books. I also donate, you know, from my business, I donate locally here in Rochester. So I just saw a lot of similarities um, yeah. and was excited to talk to somebody who had the same passions as me. So that was one of the other reasons why I definitely wanted to have you on the show. And I agree, you know, as an editor, you know, I encounter clients who have been scarred working with um, editors who are not black, who send their manuscripts back and they're judging them because they're using African-American vernacular or they're talking about things in the black culture that that white editor doesn't understand. They don't appreciate it. They don't like it. They don't value it. So I can absolutely uh, understand where you're coming from, um, from the editor side of that and saying, I know that there are a lot of authors, black authors out there who are seeking to find themselves in their editor or find themselves in the illustrator or the authors that they're reading or giving to their children and family members. So I'm so glad you're out there doing the work and congratulations to you on all your successes. And I'm glad, um, you know, there are other professionals, you know, like you and I who are out there working to do this together. Um, so now we can um, switch back over to the code switching. Um, so for those listeners who might not know exactly what that is, do you mind just giving us like your definition of it and then talking about why you've decided to um, embark on sharing this knowledge and going across the country talking about it? Yeah. Um, so co-switching. Co-switching um, is the practice of adjusting one style of speech, appearance, behavior, or expression to a particular context or situation. Um, Co-switching is something that we all do naturally as human beings. It's a human thing. The way that we conduct ourselves um, in uh, informal and formal settings, it changes. So um, that's the definition. And before I jump into the words that I do, I just want to make it clear that it's a human thing. It's not a black or white thing. It's not a gender thing. We all do it. However, there's a burden for people of color to co-switch. And that burden comes from um racism is the fact that their their expression who they are their hair their culture their language aren't accepted in certain spaces that are conducive for their success so what happens when you, when people are um people of color recognize that they're like okay maybe if i code switch maybe i can advance maybe i can you know get this fair treatment maybe i can do this and the third and from my research, I'm about to show you a little bit, we found that that's not the case. People of color are co-switching. However, they're still experiencing racism. They're still experiencing prejudice. They're still experiencing this, that, and the third. And my job is to go around to higher education institutions and make them aware of what's going on, uh, make them aware of how their staff and their students of color feel and navigating this predominantly white space Right, that they need to, I'm sharing like, you need to find ways on how you can best encourage and support your staff and students of color to show up as their true authentic selves. Because when we show up as our true authentic selves, we feel a better sense of belonging. We feel mm -hmm. a better sense of inclusion. Um, we're able to let our best self, you know, just be there. And we found that when institutions aren't aware of this and their their um, staff and students are co-switching, it can take a, a toll on them. And once they're burdened and once they're burnt out and just exhausted of co-switching, they get to see the adverse effects. They're not engaged. 
Um, they're not as productive workers. They don't feel belonging, right? They're, that team player mentality isn't there because they're not supported and encouraged to be who they are. Mm -hmm. um, in research, we found that co-switching um, in the job interview is when uh, most people tend to co-switch. Mm -hmm. It makes sense, right? Because you know, you're getting your professional law, it's a professional setting. Right. You can regardless of what color gender you are, you just can't come in this professional interview talking how you talk with whoever it is, right? So we found that um, in at the job interview is when people tend to co-switch the most. However, making a connection to people of color, people of color reality every day at work, 24-7, they're at that job interview. Right. They're at right. that job interview, they're co-switching the ends, and that should not be the case. So that's what co-switching is. That's my passion. But let me take it a step back to what, what got me to this place. So in 2015, I conducted a research study, an institutional review board study on co-switching on the campus of the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. And this research was conducted through the Ronald E. McNair Scholars Program. Uh, so when I conducted my research, I decided to do co-switching because I noticed myself co-switching when I came from an inner city. Mm -hmm. um, their city place and got immersed in this predominantly white space. It was a culture shock from, sure. from the attire, from the way of life, from the, the mainstream, everything. It was like an utterly cultural shock. And for me to navigate and be successful, right, I noticed myself co-switching with the linguistics and the style of how I dressed. So when I noticed that, I'm like, and I got accepted into the Ronald E. McNair Scholars Program where you do undergraduate research, I decided to do a research um, topic a research study on co-switching so I was interested to see how my fellow uh, students of color were navigating this predominant white space what challenges were they facing were they co-switching if they were co-switching what did they find was was helpful and what wasn't all right so that's what really just sparked my interest and while before starting the study, you know, of course, when you're doing research and want to do a research study, you have to read the literature reviews, you have to read past research, past books on what's been said on code switching. So I did just that and I recognized the gap, identified a gap within this, this, this scientific literature on code switching. Mm -hmm. And what the gap was, was that no one talked about, uh, research talked about how is code switching actually learned. They talked about like gender difference in code switching, adverse effects of code switching, so much more, but none of them talked about how it's actually learned. So I figured, hmm, once I identified this gap, I'm like, why not address this gap in this in this in my research? But not just address it because I identified this gap, but I feel like if we get to the root cause of how it's actually learned, maybe it can help us to learn even more things about this uh, this thing of code switching. So I did just that, and what I found is that code switching is learned through three main ways. You may uh, let me know if you made any connection to yours. So the first one is learn through instruction. So this happened, my research participant reported at a very young age, mm -hmm. either their parent or guardian taught them, you know, how to navigate certain spaces, mm -hmm. how to navigate, how to communicate when they're at home and tell them it's much different when you get out there. There's certain ways you have to pronounce certain things. There were certain things you have to enunciate, but not all that, mm -hmm. right? Um, then the second part is through observation. So this is when my research participant reported that once they you know, um, matriculated to this PWI campus coming from this inner city school that it was a culture shock for them as well. But what they did was they observed that uh, predominant white space, mm -hmm. they observed certain groups that they wanted to just mingle with. And they, while observed, they took mental notes on like the cues, how they communicated, what was said, what some norms. And what they did was they implemented those mental notes 
when they were communicating or interacting with that social group. Mm-hmm. That leads me to my last way of how code switching is learned. Code switching is learned to interaction. It's actually interacting with you know, someone who may not share the same culture background as you or whatever case may be and seeing what's, what's understood, what's not, and pretty much learning from there. So through my research, we found it was learned that through three main ways. Mm-hmm. And also we found that that's where I came about the burden of code switching. We found that they were code switching. They recognized that you know, it was it was good to a certain extent. They recognized there were some pros and cons mm-hmm. of it and it had some advantages and disadvantages. Right. Uh, but then we got to talking about the burden, right? Of how exhausting it is. And so, and that's why I recognized that. And that's why, you know, I decided that this right here needs to be understood because if you look mm-hmm. at the work of DEI, a lot of, you know, DEI talks about, you know, unconscious biases, microaggressions, all that, but right. no one has to get into this, this code switch and stuff of DEI work. So, yeah. so what I'm doing is fairly new, it's fairly fresh, mm-hmm. and people are really just gravitating to it. Um, and right now, this work is being utilized, my book and my um, engagements mm-hmm. are being utilized at 34 different higher education institutions nationwide. And is that this book is literally in every single region of the United States right now. And it's continuing to expand, it's continuing to grow. And yeah, that's pretty much the background with the work that I'm doing on code switching. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. And again, um, definitely overlaps there with the work that I'm doing. So like yourself, I also uh, do presentation about code switching and I'm primarily presenting to um, white audiences, people who don't have to do this type of code switching. They don't know um, that if your hair kinks a certain way, um, that's that's a they can be considered a bad thing or they don't know the detriments of that in addition to um, having a name like a Tyra. Um, even going to the extent where when people, when I introduce myself, some people ask me for a nickname. No, my name is Katyra and I shouldn't have to shorten my name or change it because you're not able to take the next step and pronounce it correctly. Um, and I, I also talk about like the language code switching. Um, you know, I know somebody who took a class to get rid of her accent. She was from Puerto Rico. So what a lot of, like you said, a lot of, you know, white people don't understand the detriments and the burden of it, um, especially when it's compacted. So not only is my hair not good enough, my accent is not good enough, America, my African-American vernacular is not good enough, and the list goes on. So again, I'm just so glad that, you know, there's many of us doing this work um, because it's necessary. So what I do in my presentations is you know, like I said, is, is predominantly white people I'm presenting to. So I pull in, which you probably do as well, I pull in cultural uh, references. So like I reference the hate you give. Star has two stars. This is what I'm talking about. Um, I even reference uh, like Megan Thee Stallion. You know, we know what she does. We know her persona, but she's also a college graduate. So for me, I found that pulling in those cultural examples makes it real for them. And I always say to them, just because it's not something you're living doesn't mean other people aren't. So you shouldn't dismiss it just because it's not your reality. So again, I got super excited when I saw your bio and your website. I was just like, yeah, he's going to be on the show. It doesn't matter if he's not an author. I don't care. He's got to be on the show. Well, that that is so awesome. We're both doing the same work, like you said, within the publishing realm. But like the fact that we're on the same coast with your stuff and presenting, that is awesome. For sure. Yeah. So I do want to tie it back into the writing and authors. Uh, most of the guests that I have are authors. I know you're an author. Um, code switching is a little, well, it's not really removed. So I'll just move it to the next question. 
how do you feel that the code switching piece influences um, self-published Black authors? So I'll kick it off and then you can kind of piggyback. So like I said, what I've seen is I am getting clients who previously worked with white editors and by the time they get to me, they're kind of exhausted. Um, I've worked with this many editors. They've all uh, made me feel ashamed of my manuscript. They made me feel that the way I've written it is not good enough and that uh, maybe I shouldn't be an author. So what ways have you seen that the, the code switching piece has influenced the uh, clients that you work with, um, specifically um, at your publishing company? Yeah. So to, to make sure I get your answer correct, you're asking how this code switching piece in terms of like lingu linguistic, right? How they're writing and how that. Yeah. Like how do, yeah, how do you think, um, or even consider yourself in that question, how do you feel like code switching affects the publishing world for black authors? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, the same sentiments that you shared, a lot of my clients reported the same thing. Like, when they try going to the more traditional route, they get a lot of backlash um, or super harsh criticism um, from those editors because, like I said, either they don't understand this culture that they're talking about, um, they don't understand. You know, sometimes we we write the way we speak sometimes, yeah. and you know, and, and you know, and they get harsh backlash because of that. And a lot of feedback is like, you know, they come out from those conversations with these editors feeling unfit unqualified to do this work as an author. And I hate to say that is not true. If that's the case, find another editor, find another publishing company, or even go the self-publishing route. You know what I mean? You can do this all on your own. Um, so that's my thoughts to anyone experiencing those challenges. Just know that um, it's not on you. It's because that person is really just culturally uh, incompetent. Mm -hmm. And so find someone else to, 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 to do your piece with. And there's a lot of other black, also fine black publishers um, mm -hmm. who are, you know, big and up and coming and whatnot. You know, those people easily could relate to your story, easily exactly. could relate to how, you know, you're saying it and they can understand what is being said within your text. So it's important for us to um, leverage um, our own community, our own, that's our community is our network. And, um, you know, I'm in a place where I'm buying, buying black more than usually now, like bread and this, that, and the third. So um, so same thing with, with publishers. There's a lot and really big name publishers out here. Look, do your research and hit them people up. Guarantee the, 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 the sentiments and everything will be much different. It will be the complete opposite. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so when you do encounter those editors or publishers, um, you know, who aren't supportive of what you're doing um, and they're not giving you fair and unbiased critique, um, you can continue your journey to find that editor or publisher who is, you know, gives you what you need. So don't feel defeated uh, just because you run into some who are not a good fit. That's that's part of life. You're yeah. gonna to to run into some people and some things that just are not good for you. Um, you'll just have to build the stamina to keep going. Um, so um, we know that you're a publisher um, and we know you're an author. So what advice do you have for our listeners who are usually either new to the publishing world or looking to break in, what would you recommend for someone who wants to become an, a self-published author and or a publisher? Yeah, that's a great question. So if you are looking to become uh, an author, I'll start there with authors. I would say 
do your research, right? Do your research on what it is you know you want to write about, right? Um, once you figure out what that is, rather you know it's marriage, rather it's you no know, whatever the subject is, do your research. And when you're doing your research, I tell everyone you need to be very intentional when you're doing your research, and you need to figure out um, you need to figure out. You need to be looking for problems and gaps, right? That's the only, honestly, that's the only way I believe my book is so successful because I identified a gap, something that no one actually explored yet. And here's this new piece of information. So I tell everyone, when you're writing, chase problems, right? Don't chase money when you're trying to become an author. Because um, when you chase problems, again, you find that piece of information that's missing right, or, or what hasn't been talked about yet, and then you're intentional about addressing it. Um, another thing I would say, keep writing. Uh, most times, you know, writers, uh, you know, once we've written a book and send it to the editors, or we finish a book, you know, we stop there, keep writing, whether it's blogs, whether it's short articles, keep writing. Um, another advice for writers, authors, aspiring authors, I would say, look for companies that offer um, educational resources, like, e-courses on how to write and publish a book or anything like that. My platform, Educare Publications, we offer two e-courses. One is for how to write and publish like a nonfiction book. And the other e-course is how to write and publish a children's book. So our e-course is step-by-step -step process how to write, step-by-step -step process how to publish. So look for those companies that offers those services. Um, and I'll also say leverage and maximize um, their network, right? Who they know, but also attend these conferences for Black you know, authors in general, but Black authors, these conventions, and that's a great way to, you know, get your book out there. For publishers, anyone uh, interested in becoming a publisher, I would say um, one thing I did was I um, reached out to other publishing companies that are successful um, and said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about starting my own publishing company. You know, what advice can you offer me? I literally reached out to this publisher when I was starting mine, and they were so open and, and honest and transparent because you know there wasn't like you know you were trying to you know step into my you know my lane and do this we're in a whole nother state whole nother you know target audience whole nother consumers but they literally gave me the blueprint on how to run a publishing company so i'll say do the same reach out to these other publishing companies and first build a rapport with them and then ask you know i'm looking to do the same for this demographic how can i be successful what are the best practices um about that so that's what i would say for both aspiring authors and aspiring publishers. Okay, awesome. Um, and then some of our listeners, um, actually a, a large majority of them, are also in the authorpreneur uh, space, which you're in. So um, what would you, or I guess what, what has been important for you to be successful in both of those roles? Or how have you kind of combined those roles to um, increase your impact and um, you know, make a difference? Yeah. Uh, so for me, um, I'll say if you're in this entrepreneurial space as an author, I'll say you may want to go the self-publishing route because with the self-publishing route, you get to maximize 100% of your profits compared to the traditional route where you get about 20 to 30% if you're even lucky of you know a book sale. Mm -hmm. So if you're really looking to maximize and monetize this business, go the self-publishing route where you can keep 100% of your profits. But for me, I'm really intentional about hitting up conventions, conferences. Um, for me, especially as you're selling stuff, look for um, events or whatnot that are looking for vendors. Mm -hmm. Register, be a vendor. Um, 
continue to tap into like um, organizations for authors, for writers, for black writers and leverage that network um, and know that you're in this for the money, right? Um, so um, make new connections, um, get social media. Um, right now, TikTok, um, I think they call it book talk where people are really blowing up, you know, sharing you know, the book that they got just from TikTok. So TikTok is massive right now where you can literally post one video and get in the, in the hands of hundreds and tens and even millions of people. So really leveraging that. Um, I would say for people to um, use ads, not ads like Facebook ads, but like shoot an ad about your book and maybe upload it on YouTube or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, press releases really help if you're really trying to get your attention out there, you know, look up how to send and, and develop a press release. Um, but yeah, really just you no know, leveraging the network and what you can, can get. Okay, awesome, awesome. So um, it's definitely, I've been a pleasure speaking with you and learning more about your journey and all that you are, um, all that you are involved in. Um, and thank you for all your service and your willingness to help and um, increase diversity and sharing about code switching. Um, I would love for you to um, just tell the listeners where they can get in touch with you, whether it's about your code switching, you know, speaking or the, the 15 week program you offer or um, your publishing company. Yeah, so you can um, you can get uh, find my books at educarepublications.com. So that's E-D-U-C-A-R-E-P-U-B-L-I-C-A-T-I-O-N-S.com. Um, that's where you can find all our books and you can find the Creative Writing Publishing Program. Um, and also for the Educare, so I, um, you'll see in my books, I have uh, two college fundraiser books. So, um, so I have two daughters. One is about to turn three next month and one just turned one last week. And so when they both turn one, I'm like, what can I do to make their first birthday much different from any other birthday? So I decided to write a book about them. Mm -hmm. But on their birthday, instead of having a birthday party, we had a book signing event. Mm -hmm. All the proceeds from the book goes directly to their college fundraiser. Mm -hmm. So on the website, you can find those two college fundraisers. Please, please support. Help send his little girls to college, um, which you see. Yeah, so for my uh, speaking engagement platform for the co-switcher, um, you can engage with us at the code switcher LLC.com. So that's T H E C O D E S W I T C H E R L L C.com. There you can find all the different uh, speaking engagement services that we offer. You can see all the institutions that we've been engaging at. You can, you can track, see where the book, where, which uh, new institu institution has adopted a book and so much more. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you again, George. Um, I really appreciated your time um, and again, learning more about you. Um, and thank you all for listening. Um, the audience, of course, is um, key for the podcast. So thanks for tuning in. And again, Editor Knows Best airs every other Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern, anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find Editor Knows Best. Thank you, everyone. Uh, be safe and be well. <laughs>